James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What is my calling? That's the question that we all have. At some point in our life, we have to ask ourselves, what is my calling? What is God calling me to do? Where does God want me? Does he want me in New Jersey? Does he want me in California or Florida? Where does God want me? As children of God, a lot of us feel like, well, what is it that God has me to to be when I grow up or to do? And that was kind of what I was known for in high school. That was my identity in high school. I was known as the guy that kept changing throughout high school. Freshman year, I was punk, and then sophomore year, I was ghetto with the do-rags, and then junior year, I was preppy, and then senior year, I was a scene kid, and I kept changing from year to year. And then finally, when I found the one thing that I could hold on to, my hair, after a while, everyone starts criticizing me. And it's like, cut your hair, Alan. It's, you look like a fool. They're like, no, I will not change my identity anymore. I know who I am. You guys are terrible. <laughs> so I, not only was my look changing, because, you know, I would often have these phases, and I wanted to throw that away and say, no, I've matured, I've gotten to this new point, and I want to just toss out everything else from behind in my past, and I want to move on. So I would change hobbies. I would be a skateboarder, and then I'd be an actor, and then I would be playing Dance Dance Revolution, and I'd be playing and doing all of these things because I thought in them that was my identity. And I think that's Maybe the, the real thing behind the calling of God is when we say and we ask about what is God calling me to do, what many of us really want to know is, what is my identity? In other words, who am I? For what purpose was I created? Or what is the one thing to which I can devote my life? Why am I alive? What is the thing that I'm supposed to be working towards? And you can always tell someone's identity by how they introduce themselves. Whenever you meet someone new, you ask, oh, hey, what's your name? And they'll tell you, oh, my name's Alan, or my name's etc." Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a rock climber. Oh, I'm a musician. Oh, I play sports. Oh, I do this, or I do that. Whatever it is that you define yourself by, or how you introduce yourself, that's often your identity. So we have so many options in the world that we live in. It seems like in this point in history, you have the advantage and disadvantage of being able to choose whatever you want to become. Like literally, if you wanted to be anything, you're told, right? You want to be something, you can go and do it. You can become that thing. And it seems like we have so many selections. You could go on YouTube and you could pretty much be or learn anything you want to, to do, whether it's, it's a, a class you want to take, or you want to learn an instrument, or a hobby, or anything like that, you can just learn it simply by going on the internet. You know, we have so many food selections. You go into the supermarket, and no other time in history has had so much selection. 
You know, so many different types of Pop-Tarts. I have like, you know, it figures that the one video that gets the most popular, I have all the things I've tried to YouTube famous, I got like 30,000 views on a, a Pop-Tarts video. It's pretty ridiculous, but it seems like whenever you try to appeal to the masses, they always, I don't know, I don't even know why I mentioned it. We have so many options, and so, so many times I'll have like the biggest decision in my day is what to eat, because there's just so many selections. Whereas back in the day, you didn't have so many selections. You didn't have a choice of what you wanted to eat. You just grew your own crops, or you killed your own pig, and you ate the pig. And part of the society, I mean, back in the pre-modern era, you had people that you... Um, your identity was whoever your family was, and you had these family businesses. You were a blacksmith because your father was a blacksmith, and you learned from them. And in the modern era, then you became whatever that you were excelling at, or whatever you learned, whatever trade you took up. So you could become an apprentice of a blacksmith, or things like that. And now, because we're in the postmodern era, or the neo medieval era, whichever you prefer. Now you can become whatever you want to become. So your identity is whatever you define for yourself. And so we ask ourselves, what ability should I hone? It seems that I could, uh, I could obtain any ability I would like, but which one should I do? And because we have so much capital to move around and so much time and energy and money, we could pretty much do whatever we want, couldn't we? And I, if you've ever seen Kickstarter, how many of you know what kick, Kickstarter is? Raise your hand. Okay, Kickstarter is just a funding program. You could go online, and if you like someone's idea, you could fund that idea, and it'll come to happen. Like, fans use it for CDs. Like, fund us money, and if uh, we get we hit our goal of money, then we'll be able to or things like that. And um, so they have things like you can, like people have been working towards things, and you can fund. Uh, a RoboCop statue in a city, or the, one of the most interesting ones is they're trying to build a real Death Star. And, and the funny thing is, they're like, how much would it cost? $840 trillion. And they've tried to send this petition to the, uh, the president, and because they've gone over... Listen to them, treat it like it's a real thing. So... Um, and they have like $200,000 towards the Death Star. I guess people just have so much time on their hands. They're just like, what should we do with their lives? Let's build a Death Star. Okay. And I bet you yesterday when that meteor struck in Russia, they're like, yes, see, we need a Death Star. So we want to know what makes me unique. And we see people rise to success through American Idol, through these reality shows. And we want to know how do we make it? And when our calling isn't made clear, when God doesn't specifically tell us what we should be, it can be frustrating. You can ask, does God even love me? Does God even care what I, I become? Because it seems like he tells that person and that person and that person what they should be, but he hasn't told me. And on top of that, it seems that God knows our future and just is holding back. He doesn't want to tell us what it is. And we ask why. God, if you know the future and you know what I will be, why don't you just tell me what to be so I can devote my life to that thing? Well, James says if any of you lacks wisdom, first of all, you have to ask of God. We are first told to ask of God. 
And I think sometimes many of us might already have our minds made up on what we will do. If you kind of just briefly turn the page over to James chapter 4, look at verse 13 with me. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We are first told to ask of God, and a lot of us have our minds made up on what we will do. In other words, we assume what our calling is. Maybe you aren't the person who has the problem of what is my calling. You're the person that has the problem of I know for sure what I'm supposed to do. You've already told God what you're doing with your life. That used to be me at one point in time. Well, I told God, these are your options. I'll do anything you want me to do as long as it's in the, these parameters that I have laid out before you. And God had a different plan in mind. Think about the Apostle Paul. He knew his calling, didn't he? On the road to Damascus. My calling is to go kill Christians. He thought he was doing it for God, but obviously he was mistaken. And when God removes our idols because he loves us too much to let us give in to our idols or our, our own ideas of what we should do, it, we can be caused to despair. We can be caused to be hurt. Right? You have your plan. You know what you want to do in, with your life. For me, it was music at one time. And when God removed that, he closed all the doors. I wasn't able to tour. I wasn't able to put out my CD the way I wanted to. All of a sudden, the CD I was putting out was full of all these corrections I had to make. And everything was just crumbling before me. I missed my big break. All these things that I thought were going to work out just didn't. And when God removes it, you can be caused to question, God, why would you set me up to let me fail? It doesn't seem to make much sense. Or maybe we'll try to fulfill our calling without God's power. And we'll say, no, God, I'm going to do this. And we'll run ahead of God without seeking his will and try to fulfill our calling with our own efforts. Maybe you haven't heard what God wants you to do with your life. And you said, well, that's fine. I'm just going to do this and God will bless it. I know God wants me to do it this way, so I'm just going to go and do it, whatever. It's going to work out because God told me I'm going to do this. He spoke to me, told me I'm going to be a musician or a pastor or uh, a baker. I don't know what girls like to do with their lives. <laughs> a hairstylist. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know what you and you already have it set up in your mind what you want to do. And you're doing it without God's power. Think about, um, think about Abraham and Ishmael. God promised him, I will give you a son. And he will, through that son, you will have all the nations and you will be blessed. And Abraham said, well, I'm about 90 years old. That's kind of impossible. Well, I think I'm going to just, you know, try to create a child through the means which you know we don't have to talk about and give forth a son through my servant Hagar and so he gave birth to Ishmael but that was not God's intended plan it was the work of the flesh because he without God's power tried to do his own calling so many choices but which one should we do and it would seem on whichever you choose your life could be drastically different there's a movie called Sliding Doors in which 
it follows this woman in two different scenarios, all depending on whether she makes, uh, makes it through the door on a subway train or not. So in one scenario, she does make it onto the subway and her life's completely different than her missing the train. And sometimes we can feel like that, like if there's minuscule decisions and different little things that you do, your life could be drastically different. And some of the most important decisions might be things that we don't even give any attention to. My decision to go on the Dominican Republic trip uh, two years ago with the junior high, I think was life-changing for me, but it was literally a decision where I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. It wasn't like I prayed about it. It wasn't like I sat on my knees and begged Lord to give me direction. I was just like, fine, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I did it. So we need to know God's will. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So we can know these plans that God has for us. We can know the, the wonderful things God has planned for us. Now, wisdom, as quoted by Douglas Moo, is above all a practical a practically, practically, sorry, oriented virtue that gives direction for the life of the godly person. So wisdom is a virtue that gives direction for the life of a godly person. And we can know God's calling when we know his wisdom and when we receive his wisdom. So the first question I'll ask you is, if you can know God's plans, you can know what he's calling you to do, are you asking him? To ask him for direction, for wisdom. We had this one student in junior high, which many of you know, and I won't mention him, who the first time I ever met him, he came to this sunrise devotional hangout we had at Penn's house. Um, we just slept over, and we woke up at 4 or 5 in the morning to go see the sunrise and pray at the beach. So I was going around asking prayer requests, and I asked one, you know, this is junior high, mind you, so they're asking for prayer for grandmothers and healings and things like that and just like you know stay solid with the Lord ask this one Indian gentleman <laughs> and I ask him yes you, you have a prayer request he says ah uh, I would like to pray for everlasting wisdom <laughs> like wisdom like you need direction for something like what what do you need it for he's just like oh like Solomon prayed I want everlasting wisdom He's the most holy man ever. I can't wait till he's in impact next year. But, you know, that's the heart that we kind of have to have where we're seeking direction for life from the Lord. So there's four things that we have to know about wisdom, first of all, that we learn from James. Number one, God gives it to all liberally. God gives it to all liberally. Number two, God gives it without reproach. God gives it without reproach. Number three, but we must ask in faith. We must ask in faith. And number four, we must take steps of faith. So now we can, after all of that, we can get into the meat. It's not going to be long, but here we go. First of all, God gives wisdom to all liberally 
What does that mean liberally? It means singleness of mind. Not like married and single, singleness. Singleness like unwavering intent. God has devotion because you are his creation. You are his masterpiece. In other words, you are his work of art. And what artist will not give himself completely over to that work of art? What artist would not give all of his devotion and time and effort? Like Michelangelo spent four unwavering years painting the Sistine Chapel. Didn't sleep night or day. You know, it's that, that act of devotion saying, I'm going to give everything I have to making this work out, to making this uh, look good. In that same way, God has unwavering intent that you would receive wisdom and direction for your life. Some people might fear that God doesn't have their best interest in mind. Well, what about all things work together for God's good, like Alan always says whenever we sing that song? How do I know that God really has my best interest in mind? Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage against a fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the point here is that God doesn't just care about humanity. He cares about you as a person. If you are a person here today, you are a human being, God cares about you. And he has intention, unwavering intent for you, especially for a child of God. And if you come before him asking in faith, God, give me direction, give me wisdom, he will give it to you liberally with singleness of mind. Okay, now I can now I can do things with you because you are my child. He also does it without reproach. What does that mean, without reproach? Well, some of you know exactly how to approach your parents when you want something from them. You know all the little tricks, right? I do. I know how to get my mom to, get to, to bake me cookies. <laughs> I really need from my mom, but... I go up to her and, Mother God, blessed are you above all women. And come up to her and, you know, that's basically all I do, actually. It works. She's such a nice mom and she'll give me cookies. But you guys know the tricks in order to get what you want. You don't ask every five minutes because you think you'll be nagging your parent, right? You want to borrow the car, you want to go this place or do this thing. You know exactly how to present it to them so they'll give it to you. But we can wrongly take these habits and test them and try them with God. As if God is disturbed by you coming to him. As if God's like, oh, geez, this person again? Really? God isn't that way. It's without reproach. Some of us will do tricks like, if you think about the story of Gideon, people placing a fleece before the Lord. Do that. Gideon, was he took a fleece and he said, Lord, I'm going to test you to see if this is really you. I'm going to put it out. And if it's what to do in the morning and the thing's dry, I know it's you. I don't, it's the weirdest test in the world. And the next day he's still down. He's like, all right, you make it wet and the, dry, the ground's dry. It'll be fine too. Some of us want to test the Lord and it's stupid. 
You don't need to test. You don't have to doubt because we don't have to do any tricks. God wants to hear from us. It doesn't matter if you pray in some magical formula and you add, in Jesus' name, amen, God will hear you. And sometimes they'll feel disqualified to pray and that God won't hear our prayers because of past sin. But if you're repenting, God will hear you. The thing is, you just have to be willing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You hear that verse all the time. Come on, guys. Just keep knocking, and you're going to hear from the Lord. We still haven't answered that question, I guess. And you might be asking, what, but what does he want me to do? Why won't he answer me? Why don't he just tell me what my future holds? You might say, Alan, I have to make a decision. Time's cu- time is running short. You know, I'm going to college soon. I have to figure out what college to go to. I have to make choices on uh, where to go in life, where, what state to move to, or what career to pursue, what to major in. Well, I understand exactly what that's like. Because once upon a time, I went to uh, community college, and I did acting as kind of a supplementary thing to figure out, do I want to go to acting school or not? And after the two years, I still had no idea. So I took an entire year off school to hear from the Lord and to find out what it is that he was calling me to do. An entire year. Surely I'd find out if I took a year off from school, I'd find out what God wants me to do. No. had no idea what God wanted me to do after a year of taking off from school. Why is that? Why doesn't God just tell us the future? Why does he just like show us this little image? It's just like, this is you in 30 years. Well, this is very important, and I want you to pay attention. So everyone look up here real quick. God doesn't often give you direction for the future because he wants to be your direction. He doesn't often give you direction for the future because he wants to be that very direction. Stephen Furtick has a point, and he says, he's trying to teach you how to walk by faith. And most of all, his greatest ambition in leading you into greater things isn't that you would know what to do. So why do you have to decide? Why do we have to make these decisions? Alan, you don't understand. I have to make a decision on what to do. You don't have to decide. Why don't you just let, why don't you just let and direct your steps? Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So you might even have all your plans. You might even know exactly what you want to do or God's calling you to do. And God says, oh, that's great. I'm going to direct your steps. And it might be completely different than what you have in mind. You might think, well, I can't just take a chance, can I? I can't just take a chance and leave it up to God. You saying that I can just make these super important decisions and just like base it on a flip of a coin and just leave it up to God. You know what the Bible says? Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It would seem that even chance is up to God and under His sovereign provision. So no thing goes left untouched by God. And God's will 
will win in the end. Because God is sovereign, it's not like you're going to make a wrong choice and God's like, oh, no. I have no idea what I'm going to do now that this person is going to this school. I have no idea what I'm going to do to this person because he's chosen that job or has married that person. It's hopeless. No, it's not going to happen that way. You know why? Because Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. But we have to ask in faith. That's the third point. We must ask in faith. No doubting. Now the imagery he uses here says in verse 6, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does that mean, double-minded? It means double-souled. Literally, like you have two different people within you. That's what he's talking about. Many people search for their one gift, their one calling. What is the one thing I'm supposed to do, right? And I think that's bogus. I think it's baloney. There is no one thing that you're supposed to do. There's a whole bunch of things you're supposed to do. You ask old people, people that are like 60, 90. <laughs> I take that back. People that are like 120. And ask them what they want to do with life. I bet you they don't know. Because there's never one thing that you're supposed to do. There's a series of things that you're supposed to do. And often because we're looking for that one thing that we're supposed to do way in the future, we miss out on being diligent in the present. And these people that are always looking like, where does God want me? Does he want me here? Does he want me there? Because we're always second guessing where, where we are. They think that we could be out of God's will because we're just not sensitive to the spirit. It's just weird. It's not the way it works. You don't get God's will by just sensing it. It's not just some tiny little voice that's like, you should go here. You should go there. It's through the word of God. I mean, how awkward would it be if I was just like, I sense that my mother is just telling me that I should not go out tonight. Some of you might have that kind of sense for your mother, but I think it's easier just ask. If she's alive, just ask. Right? In the same way, you can't second guess God's voice. In the, in the story in Deuteronomy, when the Ten Commandments is given to the people of Israel, God himself speaks it out and people are like scared to death. Like, oh my gosh, the word of God is going forth speaking his laws to us and they're terrified they weren't thinking at that moment maybe this isn't god maybe this is myself no everyone was tripping out and thinking oh my gosh this is god he's us we have heard and on top of that sometimes people do hear god's voice and it's not what they want to hear so they get the voice of god it's finally oh i heard the voice of god but it's nothing i want to do Jeez, what do i do now he told me what i i'm supposed to do but it's not what i like to hear so why shouldn't we doubt? Why shouldn't we doubt God? Well, first of all, God has given you gifts for a reason. Like I said before, your talents and abilities are given to you for a purpose because God is single-minded, not double-minded like we can be. Luke chapter 9 verse 62 says, No one having, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? All right, I'll tell you. No one saying, all right, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to put my hand to the plow. I'm going to do this thing for the Lord and looks back at the past saying, did I make the right decision is worthy of the kingdom of God? Because you're always doubting. You're always thinking, maybe I should have done this other thing. Maybe I should have 
went this other direction and you're going to lose your effectiveness right where you are. If you go and make a decision and you have regrets about that decision, you don't go with it, then you can often lose God's favor in that as well. So what we need is faith. But what is faith? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, everyone knows it. Faith is the substance of How many of you know it by heart? I have the NLT version, so I need NKJV. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah. Or the NLT says, faith is the confidence that we have, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. How faith? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. You only get faith through the reading of God's word. So even if you are afraid, even if you are doubting, if you, even if you are unsure, if we seek God, he will give us greater faith and he will show us where to go. So I need to ask you, are you taking important steps of faith? Are you walking in God's things, showing him that you have faith? Why do I ask that? Because James later himself says, faith without works is dead. If you say, oh, I have faith, but you don't do anything about it, can you really be said to have faith? So we need to be seeking God and being diligent with what you have. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm just going to read you this story here. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. And then we're going to wrap it up. Maybe this describes you. We're going to talk about a guy named Naaman. I'm not trying to go long here either, so don't worry. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. If you've been daydreaming all day, this is the time to come back. And I want you to read along with me. If you're the type of person that doesn't like to read along with people, this is the day that you read along with people. Because this is the holy word of God we're going through. It says in verse 1, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. As you know, the disease, leprosy, is the disease that doesn't necessarily eat your skin away, but you just lose all feelings, so you get your hand chopped off, you might not even know. You can't feel anything in the world. So he was this man who was mighty, he was honorable, he did great things, but he had one fatal error and one fatal flaw. His disease, leprosy, rendered him helpless. And maybe you, too, feel like God has something planned for you, that you have these abilities, but you feel helpless to obtain those things. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like God has a calling on your life, but you feel helpless to be able to do anything about it? Let's continue on and find out what happens to this dude. And from the land, and the Syrians had gone out on raids, and he brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now pay attention, this is really funny. 
Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. You know what that's like? That's kind of like... It's kind of like the, the dude that runs China. What's he called? The ruler. He's not the president. What is he? He's not the emperor. I don't know. The guy rules China, that dude. That's like him talking. He like hears about Lloyd Pulley. He's like, Lloyd Pulley, hold on. Is he the guy that believes in God? It's like, yes, I believe in God. He's like, do you think he can heal? Raise Genghis Khan from the dead. We need him. Okay, I'm going to send Genghis Khan. He just writes a letter to Lloyd Pulley, and we get it at the church. It's like, I have sent you the body of Genghis Khan. We heard you are Christian, so heal him. Raise him from the dead. It'd be kind of awkward. It wouldn't make very much sense. So this guy, the king's like freaking out. And it happened in verse 7 when the king of Israel read the letter that he closed. Well, don't do that. Whenever you're frustrated, you might be tempted to tear your clothes. Don't do that. He said, am I? <laughs> I just never understood that in the Bible. It's like, why was this a thing? Like in the Old Testament times, just like, <sighs> That's one tradition I don't want to bring back. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to heal me, uh, to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So he, he's thinking, he's obviously joking with me. He wants to start a fight with me if he's asking me to do this impossible thing. So it was when the Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Stop that. You're weird. Please let him, that's a paraphrase, please let him come to me and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. So basically he's like, just take a bath and you'll be fine. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand all over the le leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Making me mad right now. Stupid Mike. I need to buy a new one. So he changed and his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My I don't like Satan. You want to just turn on the other mic? Booyah, Satan. Where was I? Shh. Okay. Where was I? My father, if the prophet told you to do something great. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was, flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So here's the really, really important point for you today. What if God called you to do something great? What if the God right now, the God in heaven came to you and said, hey, I want you to start revival in America. 
And this is exactly how you're going to do it. Wouldn't you say, awesome, I've been chosen. This is great. I'm going to go do it. So why don't we do the easy things that he asks us to do? Why don't we do the minuscule things, the small things? You see, Naaman was like, I was, I was thinking, like, this prophet of God's going to come up to me and wave his hand all over the place and be like, be healed. And it didn't happen. He tells me to take a bath. What's up with that? And not only take a bath, but take bath in dirty water. Like the water where everyone just washes themselves and everything's dirty. It's bad. He's like, I could have taken a bath and I didn't eat. Like, it's stupid. But God told him to be diligent in the easy things and the small things. And very often when the Lord asks us to be diligent in the small things, it's because he wants us to be diligent so that he can give us charge over many things. It seems easier to just follow a voice from heaven directing you exactly what to do or where to go. But then you miss out on the character building that God wants to do in you. Naaman had to wash himself in the dirty water before he could be made clean. And maybe you have to do the dirty work before God will give you something honorable. Have you thought about that? When's the last time you did the dirty work? When's the last time that you realized that cleaning your room wasn't just cleaning your room? It was character building. You think your parents really care if your, your room is clean? I don't know. I'm not a parent. But I'm assuming there's a greater meaning behind it. And maybe in the same way, God would like to see you do some things that are easy, but maybe not popular, so he can give you charge over bigger things, just like with Naaman. So very quickly now, how can we take those steps of faith? Well, first of all, I mean, th these are just life applications that I have seen, you know, God teach me, and I've had to learn the hard way, unfortunately. Number one is just do something. You might be asking for direction from God. What do you want me to do? Number one, just do something. Pick something and do it. Here's the Bible verse behind that. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. In other words, if you wait for perfect conditions, you're not going to do anything. Because the perfect conditions, the, the conditions you have envisioned for which God to use you will never come. If you always say, I will evangelize as long as this happens and then this happens and this person just comes to me and says, hey, what must I do to be saved? Then I'll surely preach the gospel to that person. It's never going to happen. Sometimes we have to just do something, pick something and do it. Number two, be diligent with your time. Ecclesiastes 11.6 says, plant your seed in the morning and keep busy till afternoon. For you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. So a lot of us will be so busy thinking about the future that we just don't do anything at all. And we'll just sit around at our computers, be on Facebook, or just sit around and be bored. Like, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. Just choose something and do it. Or choose a variety of things. Say, I'm going to invest in ministry. I'm going to learn an instrument. I might not be good at doing this, but I'm going to try it anyway. And God will close the doors. Don't you think it's better for God to close the doors that you're trying out rather than you just waiting and be like, all right, there's no doors happening. Maybe the doors aren't open because you haven't even tried. It's like the same thing goes with reading the Bible. So many times we're like, oh, what are you saying to me? If you're not reading the Bible, you're not going to know what God's saying to you. So be diligent with your time. Number three, surrender your plans to God 
and be okay with them not working out. Surrender your plans to God and be okay with them not working out. Because the best thing that you have planned for yourself most likely is not what God has planned for you anyway. Why? Because his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts greater than your thoughts. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. You know what that means? That means you say, God, I don't know if this is your will. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to surrender this work to you. I'm going to give you everything. If it fails, if I don't get to do this thing, I'm all right with that. And then the result is your thoughts will be established. In other words, you'll know exactly what God wants you to do. He's going to establish your thoughts because you've already given those things to him. Number four, cultivate your own personal holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully on, upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But as he who has called you to be holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, Be holy for I am holy. Haddon Robinson says, The scriptures tell us that what we are is far more important to God than where we are. Why we do something more than what we do. Motives are everything. So you might not find the man of your dreams right away, but you can be that woman. That's right for that guy. You might not be uh, finding that woman of your dreams that you can be Mr. Right. You can be working on your own personal holiness. Otherwise, when that person that you've been waiting for finally comes along and your life looks like trash, you think they're going to date you? No. So you may not know your career path, but you can be the most godly dishwasher at the local diner. You may not know where God has you in the future, but you can say, you know what? Even though I don't know the future, I'm going to be diligent in what God has called me to do here and work on my own personal holiness. So you can work with work and serve with great joy because at the end of the day, you know you're more than a dishwasher at the diner. You know you're more than just a person that attends youth group or just a person that attends school. You know God has valued you and has plans for you so you don't have to worry about trying to become some, someone or something. So you all are called and... and uh, I'm going to close on this thought. Maybe you can serve here at the church. Maybe you don't know what to do with your life. You don't know where God has you called. But why not start with your own family here at the church? Because my own personal testimony is that what I'm doing right now here was never on my mind. I literally never thought I would do this. It was the one thing I was positive I would never do. And that's kind of why I think that it's silly when we think that we can choose whatever it is that we want to become. Like if you're not a Christian, you're like, I want to do this thing. How do you know you want to do that thing if you don't even know who you are? If you don't even know what you were designed for? You're just making up things and you're hoping it works out. But in the end, when it doesn't, you're like, oh man, I guess I wasn't meant to do that thing. And my life is screwed because I just spent four years of college investing in this thing. All of my life working towards this thing. I, I realize I don't even want to do this thing. Why do you think actors are so depressed? Because they devoted every minute of their day to acting. And at the end of the day, they don't get that break they were looking for. That person on American Idol has been honing and crafting their skill. At the end of the day, they don't get that break. And they don't get to be that musician they've always wanted to be. Kind of depressing. 
But when you're with God, it doesn't matter what you do. You could literally be homeless on the street and still be happy because you know your identity is in Christ and not that thing. Just think about it this way. Think about people in the Bible like David. He was a shepherd boy and God called him to be king. He was just happy tending his sheep. He didn't do anything else except tend his sheep. And then God says, you know what? It might not be right away, but I'm calling you to be king. Now he could have said, well, I'm a king. I'm gonna just do whatever I want. No, he didn't. He cultivated his own personal holiness. He defeated Goliath. You know, when he was in the king's court, he played music for the king who wanted to kill him and threw spears at him. He was diligent in the things that he had. Think about Pastor Andy. He didn't have any ambitions to become Bible college director. How do you even work towards that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan this out that I'm Bible college director in, in Marietta by talking to the right people, making myself known, handing in a resume, and then they will know that I'm supposed to be the next person. No, it was all the Lord. It was a random phone call that says, hey, I think you should be the Bible college director. You don't even know me. Yeah, that's why I'm choosing you. It's really all up to God at the end of the day, so we should just stop worrying about the future. That's why I want to press here, finally, as we close, stop worrying about the future, because it's all in God's hands. Look, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't. I just had this discussion this week. People are, like, telling me, like, one of my overseers is like, so... I hear that you don't want to be a pastor. I was like, I don't really care. I don't want to be a pastor, but whatever. And then other people are like, well, do you want to be a pastor? Like, I don't know. I feel like I could do literally anything else but be a pastor in the the future. I I just, it's, you know what I'm saying? I finally come to the one point in my life where I don't have to worry about the future. And now people are asking me, well, what about a family? Don't you want to have kids? Don't you want to be able to support yourself? I don't care. You know why? Because I'm being diligent in what God has called me to do and I'd much rather have fun in the moment than worry about what's happening 60 years from now. But if you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking for direction in the day-to-day choices, he will give it to you. If you, you don't have to know always what's happening in the future, but if you want to have wisdom in the day-to-day choices, he will give it to you. Proverbs 2 Verse 3 through 7 says, If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. So you may not know your calling, but if you ask the Lord, he will give you wisdom in the day-to-day. And we're going to give you opportunities here at Impact to begin to find out your spiritual gifts. You know, so many of you are looking outside of the youth group for your calling when maybe God's calling you here first to hone your skills here first so that when you leave or go somewhere else or God calls you out of here, you'll be fully equipped to serve in whatever capacity that he has you. Maybe it's the worship team. Maybe it's doing photography or doing video work here. We have so many people that are capable and talented to do pretty much anything that you want to do here that would be happy to mentor you. You got Penn, who's like our video guy at the church. You know, we have musicians here and we have people that are, uh, you have wise ladies that uh, disciple you and bring you up in, in the ways of the Lord. We have so many things here that you have access to All you have to do is ask. And we're going to give you an opportunity starting next week. I'll have a sign-up sheet if you want to get involved. Like, picture this. 
already talked about this with Lloyd. Picture this. One Sunday, we just have an impact takeover. Every single ministry is taken over by impact students. You just have everyone doing everything at the church. Don't you think that would get people excited? Don't you think people would be like, oh man, something's happening in this church. You don't always have to look outside of the church first to see what God's calling you to do because maybe he's calling you to do something right here and right now.